you'll remember at the end of Canto 3, Dante swoons, and at the beginning of Canto 4, he awakes, he says, like coming to first thing in the morning. But the strange thing, he's now on the other side of the Acheron River, and it's unclear how he got there. And this sets up an air of mystery and expectation, almost, in the fourth canto, which turns out to be very, very significant. It's one of the cantos where Dante really shows that either he's working received wisdom into something new, or, as I think is the case, he has received new insight, new vision, new understanding into the Christian dispensation, which is starting to greatly expand it and take it beyond what most of his contemporaries and, and even most many people today might assume. It's one of the really brilliant things about the Divine Comedy that when you go on this journey, you start to become capable of understanding a lot more than just say the creedal formula is or the accepted understanding of things can allow. The first thing though that Dante notices is that in this part of hell, Virgil at first goes very pale and this panics Dante again. He returns very quickly to his uncertainty and doubt, to his fear. And he says to Virgil, how can um, I not fear if you fear? But Virgil says, actually, do you know, it's not fear that's making me go pale. It's pity. And I think what this is saying is that Virgil feels both the compassion for those who are trapped in hell. He knows what lies before them. But at the same time, he knows that he doesn't fully understand what hell's about. And so that combination of compassion and not knowing is what makes him go pale. Um, he's full of uncertainty about the place that he finds himself in. And yet at the same time, he feels the uncertainty of those around him as well. Um, what is this place about? What are its mysteries? Um, those who are suffering, those who are suffering more or less, what does this all mean for them? And so again, Virgil's um, turning pale and Dante's suggesting its fear um, suggests that um, if we can, as it were, tolerate looking, you might say, tolerate seeing, we might see something else in this um, beginning to unfold in this part of hell. So they enter now the first circle of hell proper. You know, we've been on the threshold, we've been in the kind of vestibule of hell. Um, now we've crossed the Asheron River and we're in the first circle proper. And this is the circle known as Limbo. Limbo, Virgil says, um, is the place where those who haven't known baptism and so therefore know desire without hope, this is where they dwell. Now, Limbo is a very difficult concept. Um, in fact, in 2007, the Catholic Church officially abandoned Limbo, a really important point which we're going to come back to. Um, but you might say this is kind of still Hell 101, and this is uh, where Dante might begin in his capacity to understand what's unfolding before him, the sort of um, what people around him thought, what the church taught, what he might, as it were, have heard from a priest on a Sunday morning or heard proclaimed by a bishop. And it's that those who haven't been baptised um, can't be saved, 
And um, in order, though, that God doesn't seem completely monstrous, relatively speaking, um, the idea is that they end up in limbo. This is um, um, the beginning um, of, of hell. It's kind of like uh, hell's most uh, least tortuous bit, um, where people are only troubled by the fact that they desire more of God and yet don't have the hope for God because in the official teaching they didn't know baptism, they didn't know Christ. But immediately something more starts to emerge and it's captured in the second sense in which Dante gets troubled about Virg uh, Virgil going pale. Um, it's the sense in which can Virgil's understanding, you might say can poetic understanding, or can the received understanding of the church really help them through the experience that's going to unfold before them? Um, remember Dante is really relying upon his master. He regards Virgil as his external guide, um, as he's learning to trust um, his inner guide. And so at this point, early in his journey, um, he's still really dependent upon Virgil. And it's almost as if he's wondering whether Virgil's understanding is enough after all, in spite of the reassurances from Beatrice and Lucia and the Virgin Mary. Um, is this going to be enough to take him forward? And the implication is that, in a way, it isn't. Not because he's going to be lost. In fact, um, this is a comedy. God um, is uh, behind it all. God is sustaining it all. But in another way, um, his understanding and his poetry isn't going to be enough because it's going to have to extend beyond what it's been capable of previously. And of course, that in itself generates its own uncertainty. If we think we've got something or we've got the ability to understand it, um, but quickly we start to see that maybe we haven't, we're going to be asked to expand or grow. That in itself um, causes fear. And I think it's something of this fear which Dante is experiencing now as well, because indeed Limbo is going to be different from what he imagines, according to Hell 101. And it's a heavy learning, he says. Um, you know, there isn't the screams and torments in Limbo, um, but there are sighs and there's a kind of weightiness to the place. And I think it's because what Dante's trying to do or what he's realising he's got to embrace um, are um, the tensions of um, kind of two poles. Um, on the one hand, there's um, the, the need to respect individual people's freedom. You remember that um, will plays a, a really massive part in the Divine Comedy. And this is the will of where we choose to turn. Um, do we choose to turn towards what's good or what's uh, not good? Um, and um, this is um, the freedom that makes for our individuality, that means that we can travel through the whole cosmos, physical and spiritual, um, consciously, um, because we've made choices. We have a kind of responsibility um, for what we see and what we don't see by where we choose to turn, what we try to embrace or what we refuse. So that freedom's really important. But at the same time, um, it's already been intimated um, that God's love is in fact what moves everything through the cosmos, even in hell, as the gates of hell um, reminded Dante. And so there's a tension there, you know, how can, as it were, the love that shapes all things sit alongside the freedom of the individual? And the trick, I think, is not to try and resolve that polarity, um, but to live with the tension and in the tension, see what might emerge. Um, you might say that um, 
this canto is one that really starts to respect seriously what Dante is capable of imagining and asking him to imagine more than previously he has been capable. And it comes up particularly in this business of limbo being for those who haven't been baptised, because to put it more um, sort of in a more subtle, more deeper way, um, and it's, it's even captured in this phrase that, that Virgil uses, it's those who have known baptism. Um, what that means is it those who have lived in a time where um, the bigger imagination which Dante is going to be moving into, whether has that even been disclosed? Has that even been revealed? Was it even possible, you might say, for ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, such as Virgil, to imagine what is now going to be unfolded um, before Dante's eyes? Um, and in a sense, um, it wasn't capable of them imagining it. Um, you'll remember in earlier cantos, we've already had Virgil indicating that he understands things according to the um, old heroic standards particularly of Aeneas in the Aeneid that he wrote, but also coming from Homer. Um, and this requires an individual to be kind of morally upright, um, even in the face of the greatest calamity, the greatest death, so that the gods can honour them as heroes. But Dante has already, already learned um, by his recollection of Paul that the Christian dispensation is different. This is actually about spiritual comprehension. It's about seeing and sight. It's where the individual... Um, is now capable of being almost alongside the divine, which in a way is the meaning of the incarnation. So this is a new kind of consciousness, um, and moving into that new consciousness, having the imagination to, to grapple with it and to grasp it, um, is one of the things which gets played out um, in Limbo. Now let me, let me be a bit more specific and try and, and show how that happens. What next occurs to Dante, um, that Virgil shows him, um, it's what's known as the harrowing of hell. Um, and this is the, um, the old story that after Jesus died on the cross and before he rose again on Easter Sunday, um, he descended into hell um, and saved um, people in hell. But the question is, who does he save? Um, the standard story was that um, he saved, um, say, the old patriarchs in the Old Testament, um, those who had foreseen Christ but hadn't been able to receive salvation there and then because the new dispensation hadn't arrived. Um, as it were, um, the spiritual apparatus to see and understand the new dispensation hadn't been fully formed, which it couldn't have been until the way he'd actually been lived by Jesus. Um, but now that it has been lived by Jesus, Jesus can go to hell and save those who were the forebears of what Jesus now has fully brought about. But what it also um, raises is a possibility that people can be saved even if they found themselves in hell. And Dante says he asks Virgil cautiously, does this mean that the one can save? And that's the allusion to Jesus. They never used the names of Jesus or God in hell um, uh, out of fear and trepidation, uh, you know, for overstepping um, the mysteries that they're involved in. Um, can the one save or might another save? Um, I think this is Dante alluding to how he, in a way, has already been saved um, by the prayers of the Virgin Mary, calling on Lucia, sending Beatrice. He's already uh, realising that his salvation is a lot more complicated um, than just, as it were, Jesus's fiat. Um, and so he's wondering here, I think, is something much more subtle and complicated going on, of which the harrowing of hell, the fact that people can get saved from hell, is a sort of foretaste. Where will that harrowing end? Where will that rescue end? And sure enough, 
um, they start to notice um, a hemisphere of light um, coming towards them. Now this is very striking because of course they're in hell now, the first circle. There are no stars, there's no sun, um, so there's no natural light. Um, what light there is can only come from the light of the intellect, the light that the souls and the angels there themselves um, kind of can bring, the spiritual light. Um, so this is again suggesting to Dante that there are people here who have the light of this intellect. They can contemplate something of God and that radiates within them and so brings light even to this dark place. And sure enough, a group of poets walk towards them. Um, they're the great poets um, of the ancient world, um, led by Homer in particular, of which Virgil is one as well. Um, and Dante goes and joins the group of poets, um, making six altogether, and they welcome him. They say, you too have the name of poet, um, and so we welcome you into this place. Um, having the name means sort of sharing the spirit, sharing the charism, sharing the, the understanding, the capacity um, to, um, to kind of embrace and work with the truths that poetry tries to disclose. Um, so this is to honour um, the wisdom inherent in poetry, which the great poets um, such as Homer, such as Virgil, and now such as Dante too, have managed to see and to express and um, to bring that light into the world. And so now they carry that light into hell. Dante hadn't expected this. It's the first thing um, that's revealed to him. And there's indicators that this means really something quite substantial, because Homer, for example, um, is described as having poetry that soars like an eagle. Now the eagle is going to turn out to be a very important creature um, in the Divine Comedy um, because according to the mythology the eagle could soar so high in the sky with eyes that were so steady and piercing that it could gaze even into the sun which to say it could bear the sight of the divine, could bear the sight of God in those high heavens. So the eagle is a semi-divine creature and the implication, therefore, is that Homer um, is a semi, has semi-divine qualities too. Something of the divine, you might say, incarnated even in Homer's poetry um, all those many centuries before Christ. Um, then it said, Dante, it says that um, when they got together and they moved through this divine light, um, they discussed things which he's not going to tell us now, which are best kept silent. Now, I think this is an intimation that they were discussing secrets and they're the kind of things that can't fully be understood unless you've gone through the shift of consciousness, unless you've undergone the initiation that can enable you to understand them. As it were, you've got to go through the descent fully in order to be able to realise what they're saying. Otherwise, you're going to be left feeling, but look, can people be saved in hell or can't they? Um, is this about individual freedom and sight or is it about God's love that's going to reach down and save everybody? Um, you've got to tolerate um, the, the polarities, the opposition, um, in order to really know the secrets from within so that when you speak them, you speak them with understanding. And Dante's saying at this point, what we discussed um, amongst the poets um, can't really be expressed now but the implication is these secrets will be revealed um, further on. They keep walking, and as they walk, Dante says um, they see a beautiful castle with many walls. They walk through the gates of the castle and see a beautiful garden, um, green grass growing. It's a very, very pleasant place. Um, again, hugely significant because 
gardens. Uh, remain, recall the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is going to be a very important arrival point um, in the purgatory. Um, so this, this is saying something of heaven does actually exist in hell. Um, there's something of uh, the pleasantness, the delight, the ease um, that can be even there, shared by those who have this kind of inner illumination. And sure enough, at that point, um, a lot of pagan and Muslim divines, you might say, start to appear in a sort of procession before Dante's eyes. Um, they include some of the great names amongst the Greeks, um, including the philosophers. Um, Aristotle is particularly celebrated. Remember, Aristotle in Dante's time was fairly new on the scene. He'd appeared back in the West in the 13th century, Dante's writing at the beginning of the 14th, um, and had given a whole new lease of life in figures like Thomas Aquinas to the Christian dispensation. So Aristotle is heavily praised by Dante. We've already see, seen him probably remem remembering uh, Aristotle's remarks about justice being failed friendship. Um, and of course, Aristotle was known at that time in the West, not just um, in his own works, but through um, the figure of Averroes, who was the great Muslim commentator on Aristotle. In fact, if you read Thomas Aquinas, um, Thomas Aquinas will talk about the philosopher, unnamed but meaning Aristotle, and the commentator, meaning the Muslim Averroes. Um, so this is giving high praise um, to um, the Muslims as well, and um, for the wisdom that they see. Um, again, raising this question, you know, who's going to be saved? What's this dispensation really about? If there's divine light, if it's sharing in but a part of God's insight and understanding, God's glory, a word, a word that's used um, at this point, um, then surely that part means they must know something of the whole as well. The question is not fully answered at this point. Um, but I think it's suggesting, you know, that hell is porous. Um, it's suggesting that if you can tolerate standing between the opposites, holding on to the tension, not resolving it too quickly, um, then that can itself reveal the kind of wisdom of the descent. That's why the descent is really important. Um, it's by going most fully into the difficulty um, of what's implied by even the notion of hell, not just abandoning it too quickly, not saying it's a kind of outrage to justice, um, which in a way it is, but remember justice itself um, is not the full picture. Justice itself is a kind of a lesser form of love, turning to the law when love fails, um, turning to rules when wisdom can't fully move. So I think that's what this canto is really setting up. Um, we've got to tolerate, um, as 21st century people who might find notions like limbo um, uh, discreditable and uh, unpalatable, sort of immoral, monstrous, um, hold on to notions about how freedom works together with love, about how will and turning towards what good um, sits against God's um, power that, uh, that sustains all things and see what we can find if we can hold that, that, that tension. Um, Carl Jung would call it the transcendent function. Um, Coleridge, um, the great romantic poet, would call it polarities and that it's in the energy that the polarities uh, create, form a bit like the energy between two poles of a magnet and creating a field. That's where newness is revealed. That's where we actually grow um, and begin to ascend after the descent. Of course, Dante wasn't wrong about limbo. If he's reformed limbo um, himself, 
by the figures he has um, in limbo and the light that's in limbo. Um, the church too eventually um, abandoned limbo, not until 2007. So it leaves you wondering at the end of this um, canto as you read it in 2020, um, what else has Dante foreseen that the church is going to be catching up with, that people are going to be catching up with? What can we glimpse as we continue on the journey? But for now, it is about descent. And so after this moment of light, Dante says, we couldn't linger there for long. We had to continue our journey.